Welcome to the TCU Innovates Podcast. For over 150 years, Texas Christian University has been at the forefront of innovation, and we're just getting started. I'm TCU Chancellor Victor Bashini, And I'm TCU President Daniel Pullen. We are your hosts of TCU Innovates. Here, we highlight the latest stories of innovation and thought leadership across our community. Dream big, be bold, and lead on, Horn Frogs. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into our new podcast. This is our very first episode, and we're all excited about it. And I'm really excited today to visit with Coach Campbell, who is the in this first season as the new, but I guess not so new anymore, TCU women's basketball head coach. Coach Campbell, thanks for being with us today. Oh, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in. Why don't we start? Tell everyone where you're from and what brought you to Texas Christian University. All right. Uh, Grew up north of Seattle, uh, really close to the Canadian border, kind of in a small farming community. And dad was a veterinarian. Uh, Most of my family's veterinarians, three generations. Uh, Mom was a high school teacher, math teacher. And so that's where I grew up and and spent my whole childhood. And uh, and then TCU, uh, I came here for many reasons. But Jeremiah, number one, just his vision and his leadership and and what did he want what he wanted uh, from the women's basketball program um, I absolutely loved and um, so that was number one and then second just TCU it's a national brand has excellence across the board when we got here women's basketball was kind of the one sport um, that wasn't achieving excellence and so that 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 challenge excites me uh, this is my fourth re- major rebuilding project that I got to be a part of. And that challenge is something that I, I run to and gravitate to. Um, and so th- those are the main things that brought me here. Cool. You know, that's funny. You said I never realized you grew up that close to Canada because I always think you have kind of a Canadian accent. Do people say that? ever? Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. Even I- you say, yeah, like that. I grew about a block from the Canadian border. Oh, so. my gosh. So are you also an animal lover? I am, yeah. yep. So my uh, my dad was large animal, so I grew up on uh, cattle farms oh, going wow. around with him. Um, and, then, and then we had all sorts of pets growing up. So Do you I'm, have any pet now? Uh, just a dog. Yeah, what yep. kind? A Labradoodle. Oh, yeah, very good, very good. Okay, what do you think about Fort Worth? Have you liked being in the city? Does your family like it? Oh, Fort Worth's incredible. It's uh, the neatest spot me and my wife have lived so far. Um, Just the community, the people. Um, I got two daughters. They're 14 and 12. And so they're plugged in that Southwest Christian. Um, And then downtown, the stockyards, uh, just the way of life here. Fort Worth is a really neat bubble. It has absolutely everything. Um, But none of the big city headaches. I mean, we love going downtown. Um, and getting dinners in Sundance Square. My daughters love it down there. Um, but Fort Worth, it's been, it's been really, really neat. And transitioning's hard when you uproot and, and move your family across the country. And, um, but Fort Worth, it's, it's, we're 10 months into it, and it's been our favorite spot that we've lived so far. Oh, very good. Hey, I find it interesting. You're surrounded by women at work and at home. I have no say in my life. Uh, My dog's a boy, so we got Charlie. And uh, I go home and they tell me what to do. I come to the office, they tell me what to do. And I'm with my team and they tell me what to do. 
Well, that's very good. At least it's consistent in your life, right? Yep. T- t- talk about the team a little bit, because I think one of your one of the reasons you were attractive to us is because you're a rebuilder and because you have a reputation for creating such a great team culture. Tell us about that. Like, do you have tricks for that? Are you does, is that intentional? Yeah, they're uh, the intentional part has been I've been attracted to rebuilding jobs for whatever reason. Um, I enjoy. Um, that journey and that process of taking something that's at rock bottom and, and helping navigate all that stuff and, and elevating it to, to an elite level. And so there's many layers, right, to, to building a culture. Um, I truly believe the first part is the people. And, and for, for me and in my industry, it's our staff. It starts with your staff. And so assembling a staff and getting that right. Then the next part is in sports, you inherit a group of players that you didn't recruit that you don't know. And then you got to blend that group um, with your recruits that you start bringing in. And so that process, um, have you ever read the book, Good to Great? Yes. Do you like it? Love it. Okay. I love it too. And, um, but that first step is getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus. And that, that could be for many different reasons. And then once you get the right people on the bus, really figuring out their strengths and their weaknesses and who they are and what their gifts are. And every one of these kids and staff members are very talented people, but you got to figure out what they're talented in and in what ways. And then getting those personalities to all blend and in identifying leadership and empowering that group. And so there's so many layers um, in, a, in a process to it. Uh, and I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, in general, I feel like, uh, okay, first of all, background. I feel like I know zip about sports, but I know a lot about people. And I am a big observer of people. And when I go to the games, I watch how you interact with the women on your team. And I would say the one thing I think you really show them is respect. And I think a lot of coaches don't do that. And I think that it might be one of your secrets. Yep, for sure. And in games, there's there's two different parts of a, of a, of sports. There's the practice, which is my classroom, and that's where we get to do work. And then in the game, um, is when you allow these kids to go out and 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 see what they can do and see what they accomplish. And I think a lot of coaches sometimes micromanage during the games and and the pressure and the emotion. Uh, they get caught up in it. And so during the games, I try to kind of take a step back and encourage and and be very calm. If you watch, I'm never, uh, I don't talk to the refs. I don't worry about the refs. Um, I just try to pour into this group of kids and these young women and empower them during the game. And then we'll get back to the lab. I call our classroom the lab and get in there and you get to study film and you get to practice and you get to start working on the things you need to work on. Um, and so that's how I, I try to go about it. I had an experience with you recently that you don't even know I had that I called Jeremiah Donati about the next morning and told him uh, many times at the women's and men's basketball games, if the club is closed at halftime, I'll go in there to escape so I don't have to talk to anybody. And I do emails and sit and think. And I was in there, uh, one of the last women's games, and you brought one of the women's players in there to have a very frank discussion with her. And I tried getting your attention because you guys were looking right at me, but you were both so intense on each other, you never noticed me. And then after a while, it became embarrassing because I'm like, okay, here I am listening 
listening in on these people. So I'm just going to sit here and listen. And I did. And I called um, the athletic director the next morning and I said, I was so impressed by the way you spoke to that player because you didn't swear, you weren't in interface, but you definitely got your message across. Yeah. And she was fighting you at the beginning of it. But after she realized, this is my opinion, after she realized you really were telling her this for her own good, at the end, it was amazing how she turned and she was like, you're right, coach, I'm going to go back out there. And and she did. And, she, and I don't want to say who this player was, but she went back out there and she was a different player. But I thought that was a really good insight into you. Yeah. Wow. I did not know you were in there. But yeah, that was uh, a young lady in the first half um, that had some stuff cluttering her mind and and wasn't playing good basketball and um, just needed to, to have a frank conversation about this is what you need to do in regards to the second half. And, and if we go as she goes. And so in order uh, for our team to be successful, that young lady has to be in the right mindset with the right focus. And, um, and so I try to have very direct, honest conversations. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. That's, that's one of our pillars of our program is honesty. Um, but you can be honest in a very respectful way. Um, and I think that situation was what our program's about is being brutally honest and, right. and but do it in a loving way right and I, I in my opinion i think she appreciated she knows where she stands when did you first know you wanted to be a coach um for basketball the point guard you're kind of a coach in training and so my my whole career so you were a point guard i was a point guard yep and you're kind of the coach on the floor and so during my whole journey it's easy to look back but i was training for this um, with the way I led, the way I communicated, the way I got absorbed within the team concept. I had some incredible mentors that coached me along my journey. And so in hindsight, it all makes sense. But during it, I, I didn't know I was going to become a coach. I would say um, once I was finishing up my playing career, um, I had an opportunity to, to be a, a graduate assistant for a year and that's when I got to just immerse myself on the coaching side. And I knew that I had a passion for it. I knew that I loved it. Um, I love the game of basketball and I love young people. Um, and so that's when I was all in. What other sports did you play in high school? Basketball was the only sport I played in high school. Okay. Um, just happened to be a part of a really talented team. Had nine division one kids that were a part of that oh, high wow. school program. And so you kind of had to be all in. Uh, if you were going to make it at that school. Um, growing up, I did everything, football and baseball and soccer. But basketball has always been my passion. Two things. Who's your basketball player idol and who's your basketball coaching idol? Yeah, uh, the player Manu Ginobili um, played for the San Antonio Spurs for his whole career. He's from Argentina. But he's one of those kids, one of the, one of the best competitors to ever play in the NBA. Something that's unique about him, he came off the bench his whole career. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, and majority of his career was coming off the bench for the San Antonio Spurs, won many NBA championships with them. And so I, it's so unique, his story, yet he was one of the best players in the world. So he's just this incredibly selfless, uh, elite competitors. And, and so I loved him. And then his vision, he had incredible passing ability and vision. And so I just love Manu. 
Um, and then coaching, a guy named Randy Bennett. He's a men's coach at St. Mary's College, and he's been there. I think this is his 22nd or 23rd year there um, at a small private uh, Christian university and has ran, been running a top 25 men's program for, for many, many years. And so he took me under his wing when I was really young, starting out in the industry. And I would say I got my Ph.D. in coaching from Randy. Um, and if you go back there, there's just this amazing culture. All the former players come back in the offseason to train there, and it is just this tight-knit family. Um, and he's had sustained st- success. And so I would say, you know, 90% of what I do is is from my time with Randy and St. Mary's. Did you ever tell him that? Yes. He, oh, that's uh, we, great. We still talk often. Um, Good. Anytime I, I'm struggling or I need to run stuff, um, by him, I, that's the guy I call. And so he's been a, an, an amazing mentor. Now he's a dear friend. Um, just very grateful for him. Okay, great. Let's talk about Showmeyer Arena. Um, I think it's a great place for basketball, and I love Showmeyer, and I know you do too, but tell me, what would make Showmeyer even better? And then also this next question, what's the best basketball college arena you've ever, ever been in? Because I've been, I have one I want to tell you about, but I want to hear what you think. Yeah, so Showmeyer, the size, they nailed it. Right. Um, it's the perfect size for Fort Worth, for an intimate environment. Um, so I love that. Um, and I'm excited to the day that we're going to sell that thing out. It's it's coming, and it's our job to get a product that's worthy. Uh, but what's one of the things that's special about Fort Worth is how much they love their frogs um, in all sports. When I got hired, it was during the baseball run. Uh, last spring. That was fun. Oh my gosh, that stadium was sold out and yeah. packed. And um, so that was, that, that gave me a glimpse into it. Um, and then just getting to see the, the men's basketball crowds that are here are electric. Um, the Texas game just uh, last week was was awesome. So Schollmeyer, they you guys did an amazing job building that. It's a perfect size. Um, best basketball venue? Yeah. College. There's two that Pauley Pavilion at UCLA is one of the historic spots, and they renovated it in the last five years. Have you been there since they've renovated Not it? Not since it's renovated. It, it's just, it, it still has the historic nostalgia to it, but it's it's modern now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Cameron Indoors um, at Duke is, is for basketball junkies, is, is one of the all-time great spots, but it's different. It, it's, it's old still. It's still got the wood bleachers, right. and it's... It's small. And so, but when you walk in there, you just feel um, the greatness that's come through there. And so those are two different spots, but those are my two favorites. Okay, no way. You just flunked that test because the best basketball arena in America at any college is Assembly Hall at Indiana University. I haven't been there yet. No way. That is so cool. It's got the steepest stairs and the most history. And, you know, yeah, I just love that place. But I've been to the other two you mentioned, too, and those are great. What about um, Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler? That's a cool place, too. Have you ever been there? I have not been there for a game. Yeah. But I got to just walk through it when it was empty. Yeah, um, but that's one of the top five. Right. Yep. Right. Okay. Tell me, tell me this about TCU. Like, what what would you change about it here to make it even better? Because you already love it, but is there one thing here you think, boy, why do they do that? No, I, I haven't found that yet. Oh wow. Um, P.S. I love you. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> when I got here, the the people used to joke that uh, in, in the department they call it Disneyland. <laughs> it, 
and it's it's incredible. Um, you, you got about a student buy, it's about 11,000. So it's big enough um, that, you, that you don't feel like you're at a small school, but it's not overwhelming. So, so that size, it's got to be the nicest, cleanest campus in the country. <laughs> I don't even know how you guys do it, but there's not a piece of garbage. You, you'll walk campus, you won't see one single piece of garbage. It's just beautiful in the landscape, um, the facilities, the buildings. Um, you guys have crushed it at TCU. And it's, it's one of the reasons I came here is it checks every box, private, high academic, 11,000 student body, amazing facilities and support. The community is all in on TCU. Um, and so I haven't found anything that is like, oh, we got to tweak this or change this. Um, it just gets me excited to bring these high achieving young women from around the world to come see this place. Oh, that's great. But, you know, you, you realize when you say you guys, you're part of those guys now. So, yeah. OK, you've had an amazing season and you did something like I'm 100. I've never seen this done before in basketball. You had injury after injury after injury with all your like marquee players. And then you decide not to play games and to hold open tryouts in the middle of a season. Tell me about that. That, that was wild. Um an experience that very few people have ever had to right. walk through and navigate. And, um, and even before that, so for the whole story, right, you get off to a 14-0 and 0 start. Um, you, you, it's magical what was unfolding. It's the best start in school history. And you have this collection of kids um, that just complement each other. And that puzzle, it fits. We nailed it. And then the injury bug unfolds over a two-week period. Um, that totally decimates us and, and you lose your three best players um, that are irreplaceable. And it got to the point where um, the medical staff and leadership didn't think it was safe um, to go compete with the, the bodies that we had left. And so you had to forfeit two games. And so when that, and you don't want to do that, everybody wants to go compete and play. Right. And so you had to figure out a solution quickly. And the only thing that you could do in mid-year is to hold open tryouts. Um, and so we, the next day we put out on a flyer, you know, we had a six o'clock tryout um, on a Thursday and another one on a Friday. And you have no idea who's going to show up to that. Right. The student body was incredible. Um, we had about 50 young ladies that came between the two days. And we originally had a two-hour slot. Both days, we shrunk that to an hour. These kids were gassed, <laughs> right? And they're not used to, they're not in college basketball right. shape. You know, they're walking around, going to class, eating chicken express, having their Starbucks. Right. And now they're running suicides, playing, competing, diving on the floor. So we took four young ladies from that. The first step is you just got to find the four best basketball players. But then there's the culture part. And you're taking these four kids in the normal recruiting process, you get to know their family, their background, who they are, what makes them tick. You know all this about these young people as you build a team. Well, now you're bringing four random kids that you don't know anything about into your locker room in the heart of a season while adversity is going on. So that's the part that scared me is, okay, we got four young ladies that can play basketball, but we also got a, they're part of our family now and right. we don't know them. And then there's the onboarding process of, you know, they got to pass the NCAA 
all, all the academic stuff. They got to get their physicals cleared. Then there's the class schedule part where they weren't set up to be a part of the women's right. basketball program right. and school's already going. So when we first identified them and sat down with each of them, not one of their class schedules worked out. So we're like, okay, we got four players, but they can't come to practice. Um, And then there's Sarah Sylvester, who played volleyball and is is a dual sport athlete and and incredible what her coach allowed her to do to come be a part of our program. And so we could unpack this. There's a lot of layers to this, but they have been incredible. Three of the four changed their whole class schedule for us. Um, Sarah can't because she still needs to do volleyball tryouts while she's helping us. So she can't come to practice. So she has her own special practice slots. And these young ladies, they have been incredible in the locker room. They have, they're dying. They're, they're now doing full weight, strength right. and conditioning and practices. But they have allowed us to continue the journey of the season. And they've allowed us to compete and play five on five. And so normally you learn what your culture is when adversity hits. Well, adversity hit hard in year one unexpectedly. And it shows you the young ladies that we have in our locker room and the leadership that's in there. And to go from a 14 and 0 team that doesn't even have enough kids to play and, um, we have a, it's actually posted in on all their lockers, but process over outcome, process over outcome. And that was when we were going 14 and 0 and to, to, to dive in and lose yourself in the, pro- don't worry about the outcome. You know, we, we might've started 0 and 14 or 14. It shouldn't matter. Lose yourself in the process. And so we really clung to that, um, during this whole, whole situation. And, um, so we ended up, Never practicing because of the class schedules, but we have enough kids to play. So we have Central Florida. And so we had to pivot. We changed our entire offense and the kids go out and win the ball game. Yeah, I love that. And so that was um, that was that was one of the most special moments of my 17 year coaching career. I've, I've played in a final four, got to be a part of the number one team in the country. That game with those student athletes and what they overcame in, in that night was one of the most special things that I've ever been a part of in my 17 years. I love that. And the rest of the kids on the team, they accepted these new members right away, it seemed to me. I mean, from watching them on the floor. Yep. You, you, you had to. You had no other choice. But that's the kind of kid. So we inherited six young ladies that were a part of the program. Then we added six kids from the transfer portal. And then there was two freshmen that were signed with the previous staff that we didn't know. So you kind of already have this mixed bag right. of, of, of players. And now you're adding four walk-ons that none of us know. Um, but the character of these kids, who they are, that's why your culture starts with people. And you got to get the right people together. And it's what we talked about. Get the right people on the bus. We'll figure out the rest later. And, and I know in that book, and I, I agree with this, it's first who, then what? And so first who, let's get the right people, and then let's figure out what we got to do. And so how that translates to this season is my whole coaching career, I've run pick and roll offense. 
And I can do that with my eyes closed. I know the inner workings of it and the teachings of it. And, and we did that because of our personnel. And we have one of the best centers in college basketball and shooting guards and point guards. So it worked flawlessly. Well, because of the injuries, we don't have a center anymore on our roster that's even suiting up. Well, you can't run pick and roll without a center. Well, then we lost our starting point guard. Well, now it's impossible to run pick and roll. So we had to pivot. And we pivoted is what gives us the best, this group, this new team, what gives us the best chance to potentially win a ball game with their talents and their gifts? And it was five out motion, small ball, shoot a bunch of threes, spread them out. I've never coached that. Nobody on our staff's ever coached it. And so, again, first two, then what? Okay, let's figure out our personnel. Let's figure out their gifts. Let's figure out their talents. And then let's figure out the direction we need to go. And so our staff did an amazing job learning how to teach this new system, how we can translate it to our players. In that Central Florida game in our first quarter, we scored 27 points. It was the highest scoring quarter we've had all season. And so you had this group of young women that were backs against the wall, trying to learn something, had never played five on five to practice it and went out there and had our highest scoring output. And so you never underestimate young people. Right, right. Okay, you said, you said a lot of stuff in the last few minutes. I have no clue what you're talking about. But I do know transfer portal and I do know quarters versus halves. So here's my question on that. I like that women's basketball has quarters versus halves. It seems to me like it's a better way when you're the fan to watch a game, too. Why don't men do that? We have two different rules between in voting systems. So it's not it's literally two different businesses. Oh, OK. And um, college men, I believe it's the last basketball organization that's still doing halves. The right. NBA's quarters, right. WNBA's quarters, EuroLeague's quarters. So I love it. Um, obviously, men's college basketball is a great product. I'm biased, and I love the four quarters. I'm with you. Right. Um, so maybe they'll eventually change. But right now, they're the last group that's still doing two halves. Right, right. Okay, talk about the transfer portal a little bit, Coach. What do you, are you for that, against it? You accept it, what? Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. I love that. Yep. Because here's the thing. You have no choice anyway. Embrace yep. it or don't coach. Yeah. You, you, you gotta, you have to, you gotta change. You gotta adapt. Um, that's for any business adapt or die. And so it's here and it's not going away, but I love it because it gives young people the freedom, uh, to make choices. And, and there's, there's a wide range of things that could happen when you go to a university and there could be a coaching change there, there could be a, a homesickness or a health issue. There's so many things that could make a kid want to end up going a different direction, but it gives the student athletes the freedom. And I love it because I'm confident in our coaching staff is going to build a culture that's so elite, that's going to attract the right kind of kids and it's going to keep them here. And so, and I believe so strongly in that. And so the, some people fear the portal, right? I love the portal. And so as we go through this, um, we've had one cycle of it, and we added just six tremendous young ladies. And so for us, a portal in men's and women's basketball, that's going to unfold here in about a month, month and a half. And uh, we'll go through that. And it's kind of like speed dating now. It's not traditional recruiting where you get years to get to know a kid and a family. Um, but that's my favorite part 
of building a, a program is is the recruiting part, getting to know the kids and these young ladies and their family and who they are and really diving into that to, to figure out, okay, we need you to be a part of our family. Right. I think the reason why we'll never have to fear the um, transfer portal as long as you're the coach is because you're a kid magnet. I really mean that. And so you don't have to be threatened by it. Well, Coach, I appreciate all the time you spent with us today. And is there one final thought you want to give? Because a lot of basketball fans are going to be listening to this. Yep. Well, um, right now, stick with us. Adversity's <laughs> hit. But we're here to build the best women's program in the country. And, and we're going to do that. And so that, that, that's going to take some time. Uh, but I think we've already done some magical things in our first year. I think you've got to see our culture um, and the kind of kids that we have. Um, but buckle up. we got a special journey ahead. I love that. Our podcast, this whole series, is about innovation and dreaming big. So what's your biggest dream for TCU in five seconds? Graduate 100% of the kids and win a national championship. Thanks, Coach. Go Frogs. The TCU Innovates podcast is recorded at the KTCU studio in the Bob Schieffer College of Communication at Texas Christian University. Special thanks to our student producers, Carson Arnold and George Kamar, and the entire TCU team for supporting our show. Go Frogs!